You are listening to the Green Living Chats podcast brought to you by Equamet Solutions in Ghana. I'm your host, David. Here, we discuss emergent environmental issues in and around the world. We also use this platform to promote environmental related projects. So stick around with us. Here we go. So welcome again to another episode of the Green Living Chat podcast. Today, we continue our segment on climate change adaptation measures. And we are still with Joseph Amponsem, who is the CEO and founder of Green African Youth Organization, shortly known as GAYO. Today, we talk about their response to the call for climate change adaptation measures. We dig deep into his company's activities and things they're doing at the local region to ensure that local people who are experiencing climate change impact are being cared for. This discussion was very interesting, but it is a continuation to last week's discussion where we discussed the agency of climate change adaptation measures. If you missed it, you could check this episode out before digging into this episode. Our podcast is available on any podcast platform. So let's get into today's discussion. So I'm still here with Joshua, um, the CEO of Green African Youth Organization. And I'm sure we have all heard about your company because you are all around doing great things about um, climate change, educating people and, and all that. How did you end up with this organization? Joseph, tell us your secret. Okay, I think uh, what will happen is that I will take both the name Joseph and Joshua because biblically, they are very good, uh, uh, good characters. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to play both. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> How, how how I started Green Africa Youth Organization, uh, it also started in my bachelor, actually. So um, in the in the final year of my bachelor studies, this is when I set up the organization. At the time I was setting it up, I set it up as student association that students will be able to come together to do something. So in 2014, it, it, it came up like that. Um, and then in 2015, I realized that, okay, it has a, a momentum, it has energy. And there are a lot of uh, commitment to it. And we could actually just not leave it as a student group because once we get out of campus, then that could also just go away. Um, so better formalize it as an organization so that there's a bit of longevity in terms of how it functions. So we set it up as an organization. So yeah, that was basically really the start. Um, the, like I said before, the, I mean, if you want to set up something, you need to ask yourself a million questions before you do because you need to ask yourself... Um, what is the extent? Is it really worth starting something from scratch uh, when others are already doing quite a lot? Yeah, but back in 2014, I mean, there were only a few organizations that were very youth focused and working with young people and really providing space for young people. So I, I actually thought, okay, we don't have to start something and we can work with other organizations to do this. Uh, but there were other peculiar reasons, and one of them was to make a guy or Green Africa Youth Organization, a space where we can bring in young talent and young passionate people and really groom them for their career. Uh, so what that means is that people really come into Gaio and they get a lot of experience and they either further into continuing their career in other uh, organizations, 
in other uh, entities, whatever that might be. But in Gaio, they get a lot of leverage in terms of learning, making mistakes, having someone to hold their hand through the process, teaching them both soft skills and uh, hard skills, which you typically wouldn't get uh, yeah. as, as an average environmental science graduate or an average natural resource management graduate. Uh, you just have your, your book knowledge and you struggle to find a job because you don't have any other skills and have any other experience to really make you competitive. That's why we wanted Gaio to be a space that people come in and they, they implement projects. They go through uh, certain ethical processes, leadership, build their ethics and the work, a good working culture say that they really, we have confidence in them when they leave and they are going into other organizations. We know we're putting leaders out there. Um, so that was really a starting point for us. And also you see that we always say that we are uh, youth-led, gender-balanced. And this is very important to us that we all really focus on making sure that we're grooming female leadership because this is very important in the space. Because when I started activism, there's just a bunch of, a bunch of guys everywhere. Uh, and there are very few ladies who are very vibrant uh, active in the space. It really sounds like a perfect idea and uh, sounds like very good movement. But I, I know it hasn't been an easy and smooth path. So how has the journey been? What are some of the challenges that you have you have been through throughout? And, and how did you turn around? Yeah, a lot of challenges. Um, I know. <laughs> the, the significant one, which uh, I would mention, uh, what people probably underestimate, is team management. This has been one of the biggest uh, challenge for Gaio because maybe because of our vision also, like I said, we want to be able to get people coming in, grooming them, giving them all the skills and everything they need for them to go out there into other organizations and do brilliant. That means you need a very solid management in place to deliver that. Not just delivering the projects, but also delivering this commitment of, on people that they become who they want, you want them to be. And that has been very, very challenging because the system was more used to either people volunteer without being serious and they just do it because it's the, you don't pay them and they do it on their own terms. And then even when we switch to also, we created um, an internship uh, approach. And even with that, there's like, oh yeah, then they, they have 50% here and 50% looking for so many other things to do. And then even when we started having these um, engagements as full-time roles, People were also then used to the culture of just accepting anything from their boss. And we wanted to create a culture where you can challenge your boss, you can challenge your supervisor, you can challenge your, your manager. If you think something is brilliant and it has to be done, you need to have the confidence to speak up and say, look, I don't agree to this approach on this project. It has to go that way. We wanted to create this open space where people feel they are, they are staff but they also owe a stake in the organization in a business terms, let's say as a shareholder, and they equally influence the decision-making. And this was very difficult because people are not used to this. You hire them and they, they are so scared to lose their job. So they will just do um, whatever the instruction is. I mean, go buy that, that thing and go buy it. We, we organize a, a cleanup exercise and they will just organize a cleanup exercise, but we're not confident to say, Oh, but we clean up the beach today and next week we have to clean up anyways because the beach was too before. We need, a, we need a better approach. They wouldn't question that because they are not comfortable to do that, right? And we wanted to create a culture where they would be able to question why invest $500 into a beach cleanup? Why not then not do this at all and rather accumulate the money over 
a one-year period and rather implement a strategy that doesn't even get a waste on the beach in the first place and be able to argue their points and defend their points and really put it out there. So this really made it difficult for us. Um, also keeping the motivation of the different team members, right? Uh, uh, every person has a different motivation. Uh, some is about, the, it's about just getting their monthly salary. For someone else, it's about getting a traveling opportunity. For someone else, it's about getting their name profiled in, a, in, in an article somewhere. <laughs> Everyone have a different thing that motivates them in this space. And being able to identify that and provide those opportunities is also very difficult. Then the second thing is, of course, not necessarily finance. I wouldn't necessarily talk about the finance, but rather the the support, not just financial support, but the support uh, as a collective, support. the general support, you know? Uh, typically when people say support is translated as finance, but for me, when I say support, it's really about <laughs> people, people just having confidence in what you are doing. You know, people really having confidence and saying that, oh, this is a very good initiative. I'm going to be there. Very, very good initiative. I'm going to post it over there. Very good initiative. I'm going to tell my friend if they, they are happy to, to, to join or to talk about it somewhere or if they can do something similar in their community. This feeling, this momentum is needed. And that was not so easy because um, the space is small. The issue is big. But I feel like most often organizations, uh, specifically these youth organizations, tend to become competitive for no good reason. One, the issue is so big for anybody to solve anyways. So there's no point in being competitive, but this happens that organizations get competitive and, and then you have the same thing being done by 30 organizations. Why don't they come together and do it as one? No, they won't because uh, this person wants to say my organization did it and my organization that and my organization did. So that takes away the cumulative and the, the collective impact that could have been achieved and this is something that, um, I mean, I've been looking into for quite some time now. I've done some partnerships. I've had quite uh, bad experiences with partnerships because of typical uh, issues like this. Because when you talk about partnership and collaboration, in, in our context, people are looking at how they can benefit from you and not exactly. how they can support a collective agenda. Um, so it's, it's, it's always um, a challenge. But this is one thing that uh, I found very challenging. Yeah, and then the last thing, the last thing I would say, uh, of course, is the, the capacity. Uh, you, need to, you need to have a certain capacity to deliver certain impact. And that, that has been a challenge because the, the dream is big, the vision is big, but the capacity doesn't match that impact. Uh, and that means that we have to also take a lot of time to invest in our own capacities and be able to deliver the kind of impact we want to deliver. With, with all this... I think you don't need to be told that you have actually done a good job. I want us to talk about Gaio's initiatives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you are putting in place for all this grooming and advocacy and all the things that you're doing? Can you tell us about some of the major projects that um, you are doing as, as Gaio? Great. I'll talk about three projects, um, yeah, which are very significant. Uh, one is the Sustainable Communities Project. So we started a project in uh, 2017. We had a pilot in Cape Coast, very small pilot. 
2018, 2019, we rolled it out. And then the project basically works with communities um, in managing waste sustainably. So three streams of waste, organic waste, agricultural waste, and plastic waste. Um, the challenge is that you have, uh, for some communities, of course, you, have, you don't have a, a, a proper disposal site for waste. So a lot of open burning happens uh, everywhere. And even when the municipality comes with a truck to pick all the waste from the community, they go dump it somewhere and they set fire into it for it to, to reduce the volume. Now, again, from a climate perspective, all that burning is really, really ridiculous. Beyond the climate perspective, human health perspective, all the smoke that people have to inhale within those neighborhoods, catastrophe. Third angle, the soil pollution that goes into that, another big problem. So that something has to be done about that. And we have to think about, okay, what do we do about that? The other angle is that because of droughts and floods, most uh, farming communities are also losing the topsoil, uh, the richness of the topsoil because it gets too dry and then it rains and it washes everything away downhill. So that becomes a challenge. So we take all the food waste, market waste, organic waste, organic waste and then we make compost out of that. And, and we, when I say we, it's not um, a guy uh, doing this. So we set up community-based initiatives and enterprises where we take people from the community, we train them, we provide them with a space. We call that material recovery facility. Uh, so they have a material recovery facility and then their role is we support them to do the waste collection, the waste processing and convert that into a resource for the community. So with organic waste, they make it into compost. They sell back to farmers. They apply some on their own farms. They do demonstration farms to demonstrate to community members. This is really good and you don't need synthetic fertilizers. The second component of that is the plastic waste. And for the plastic waste, they take all of that, they transport that to recycling their facilities where applicable, where not applicable, they use that locally in making products that they can use internally. And that means they convert plastic into flower pot, convert the sachets into bags, into raincoats, into curtains, shower curtains, because it has to be waterproof. So they use the plastic to make shower curtains. Uh, for, for rural villages, this is fantastic. They, they can use this themselves. In the, in the cities, they do this and it's also very attractive for tourism. So they make a livelihood out of it, sell it and they make money out of that. Uh, for the other part of the agricultural waste, then we convert that into charcoal briquettes which they can use for cooking at homes. Um, and a bit of that also goes into making compost for producing mushrooms because you can produce mushrooms with a compost base from wood dust. Yeah, and even recently, another component was even using cocoa pots uh, from the cocoa to make a soup, which can be used at home. So yeah, so trying to integrate different waste in communities uh, that they can process it internally within the community and use it and create a livelihood out of that. And that has been delivering green jobs. Uh, last year, we, we managed to deliver 70 jobs in communities. Uh, who were doing this from the product, the collection, the production, the retailing, processing. In, in total, we had 70 people getting a livelihood out of this, which was fantastic. So that is one project that we do. The second uh, project, Water for Adaptation, uh, is happening in the semi-arid and arid regions of Northern Ghana. Uh, and what we're doing is uh, providing them with uh, access to water for the very dry areas that 
A, they get water to drink, potable water. B, they have source of water for tree planting um, and tree growing that they start sort of um, greening those areas. And then C, they have water if needed for irrigation purposes at some point, they are able to do that. So we call it water for adaptation. And again, all these projects, we work with young people to do this. Something particular about the, the Northern, the water for adaptation project, which we realized last year. About 33% of girls in this community, and this is uh, the Kasana Nankana district in Northern Ghana. We had 33% of people in, um, in Kandiga of girls not going to school or missing school days because uh, of their monthly period. And there's no sanitation facility, there's no water, you just have to stay home. And that was a big problem. And this year, that is a challenge we're taking on to provide reusable sanitary pads, give them a secondary uh, drilled mechanized borehole to provide water for sanitation purposes to make sure that girls don't have to miss school because of this. So that is a new component that we're adding on this year uh, that we're very excited and looking forward to. Then the third project that we're doing, which is also very interesting, is working together with uh, the National Disaster Management Organization in Ghana, NADMO. And we work with NADMO to organize um, every year uh, for the past two years. Uh, we organize and in, during the International Day for Disaster Risk Reduction, we organize a quiz competition among schools on disaster risk reduction. Why is this important? Because when a disaster strikes, community are the first respondents. They have to respond. They need to know yeah. what to do. They need to know what actions to take. And NADMO, of course, you cannot have the capacity to educate everyone uh, across the country. So we designed this project to work together with them. Every year we choose some schools, we give them materials, we educate them, and then we do a quiz. Uh, last year we did the regional level, northern sector, middle sector, southern sector, and they had a climax in Accra. Uh, and then, of course, this competition then really empowers them to understand why disaster risk is important, what they can do as young people, what they can educate their peers and their family. And then they have this uh, final competition and they, we also award them, of course, uh, to make it a sort of competitive and also very interesting for young people. And some of the awards we give them, of course, technology uh, devices, uh, laptops, computers that they need, books that they need uh, for their everyday studies, um, that we also use that to sort of uh, motivate. So this is what sort of three projects concretely that we're doing. Uh, and we're going to launch two new projects, which we're currently working on. Uh, one is a youth climate council, and one is an incubator program where we would just purposely focus on grooming young people who are interested in, in, in entrepreneurship, green entrepreneurship, particularly sustainable fashion and food systems, and giving them the skills they need to decide whether to support an existing structure, whether to start their own business, what are the skills they need to run a business successfully, for them to get a larger picture of entrepreneurship before they, they start the journey. And of course, connect them to opportunities that will help them to excel in these businesses. And the Youth Climate Council will basically be to empower, work together with the broader youth climate movement in Ghana, that every young person would have the possibility to influence climate policy in Ghana, whether they are in Accra or whether they are in uh, uh, Bolgatanga. Because for long, we realized that most of the things happen in Accra, and it makes it difficult for the other movements and young people in other parts of the country to really feed into, That's true. into policy. And we want to create some sort of a strategy where 
everyone will be able to influence policy regardless of the allocation. I, I really love how you're turning your ideas to solve these environmental and social challenges, right? And I, I really think that we can we can actually continue these conversations after after this because I really love your 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 ideas. Great. So in, in, in a nutshell, how do people support this? <laughs> how are you open to collaborations? And what can people do to to help you in these projects? Talking about companies, investors, um, individuals, how can we support your project? Great. Um, well, the, there's a lot of room for, for support and we're always happy to, to work with different organizations in this. Like I said, um, companies, individuals, whoever, like I said before, we need to build our capacity to deliver the impact we want to deliver. So if you believe that, oh, you are an expert in something, field. It could be monitoring and evaluation. It could be financial accounting. It could be uh, um, um, project management. If you feel very skilled, expert in a field, you feel like, oh, I could support them with what they are doing, either in telling their story, if you're a storyteller, if you are whatever, you know, you could just, we are very open to have someone tell us, oh, actually I've been doing business um, consulting for the past 20 years. And I heard that you setting up uh, community-based enterprises and I'm happy to support them with they are how to set up their structures that will be perfect right um that means that we don't always have to go around looking for money for the work we do but we could actually count on people and their expertise to help us develop so that that is very essential individual businesses this is possible um internships volunteering we open for this we get a lot of emails from people in ghana people outside of the country wanting to intern but mostly as in paid internships and there's not so much of that we can actually afford. So, I mean, as a good support would be even someone either interning uh, non-paid because they have the resource or also getting support from other organizations to cover the cost of some of these internships that people want to do with us on our projects. Because our projects can always accommodate people coming in to specialize in a particular aspect of it or to support in a particular aspect of it. But maybe they cannot do it for free and they need to get paid. And we can't always uh, pay for this. Of course, we have, we have a, a limit to how much we can actually disperse. So uh, yeah, that is another thing that will be very interesting. For investors, please, um, we're setting up community enterprises. You will not be investing because we are an NGO. You're not investing in us. But please, we want you to come. We will tell you the setup we're doing in communities. Invest in these communities. Invest in these local people. Invest in them because this is the real impact, right? At the end of the exactly. day, yeah. if they are able to be successful to grow these businesses, they have control over their development and it's not always going to be relying on foreign aid and uh, foreign interventions, right? The communities can take leadership, they can take ownership, they can implement solutions, they need an investment. And the investment shouldn't always go into this big giant corporates. Um, investment should also go into local uh, setups and businesses. So that will be very interesting to us. For donors and funders, I mean, we're happy to, to receive support to scale our projects, uh, support the existing community-based enterprises we're setting up for them to scale and get better, to enter into new communities, to, to implement projects uh, across countries in Africa. Um, so a lot of room, a lot of room for, for people to come in with support. Yeah. I really advise that anyone listening and interested in, in supporting um, 
Gayo and their initiatives, their amazing initiatives to help the society and to also help the environment could could invest in in this company because it's going to be worth it. So there are still a lot of things to uh, get into, but I think that we'll just put the links and details uh-huh. to all your projects and and details in the in the keynote so that anyone can can reach out to you. Right. But I just want to ask something quickly: that what will be your advice and motivation to the youth? to start sustainable initiatives and how they can contribute to making a change. What will be your general advice to the youth? Well, my general advice is that uh, young people always wake up every day with a new idea, with a new vision that could change the world. It's really a question of being able to say, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna step out there and I'm gonna make it happen. So my, my, my best advice, just do it. You know, if you can't do it, this is here's the thing. If you're not bold enough, if you are not don't have the capacity, whatever to do it, find someone who can let them do it. If you don't know anybody, just put the idea out there, someone will pick it up. The whole point is that that we have a huge issue ahead of us when it comes about climate and inequalities, and there are a lot of solutions sitting in our heads that we're not communicating. So put it out there. If you don't do it, someone might see that post and that will be the motivation for that person to pick it up and start yeah. implementing it. So just do it. If you can't do it, get someone to do it. If you don't know anybody, just put it out there. <laughs> yeah. It's a great advice. I want to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. If you were to have the chance to change anything in our society concerning environmental sustainability, climate change and all that, any particular behavior or any way that we are behaving towards the environment what would it be what change will you cause well good question i think the 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 fundamental thing i would change will be our education system i think um, that will be what i would change it's too redundant and it's not preparing us enough for the future that that is ahead of us and i think that is something that if i had the capacity i would just change it overnight joshua it's been so amazing talking to you and i really enjoyed the time I, I shared with you here on the podcast today, and um, I really want to say thank you. I don't know if you have any last words um, you would like to share. Well, I would like to thank you, David, for having me uh, and the Ecomet team for, for the great work you're doing as well. Um, in general, I think it's been a very great conversation. Um, I hope people listening find inspiration in, these, uh, in this conversation and are able to also reach out and connect. We're always happy to connect, so please, uh, let's do that. And I look forward to um, furthering conversations with you uh, and Ecomet uh, to see how we can also work together and put the partnership and collaboration into practice. Definitely. So thank you so much for coming. And I wish you the best um, wherever you were. And I wish you good health as well, together with your family. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. And good health to everyone listening. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for sticking around with us and for listening to this episode. We hope that today you have been encouraged to start something around you. So let us hear from you your thoughts. Link up with us on our social media platforms at Echo Amit Solutions on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and on our website www.echoamidsolutions.com or send us an email of your thoughts. Share this podcast with a friend or someone who really needs to know this. Till we meet again on the next episode, live great.